Our sermon text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. It's printed for you on the back of your order of worship if you'd like to read along there. Listen now, friends, to God's holy and inerrant word once more. The apostle writes and says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, that is, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Thus far, the reading of God's word. It is absolutely true, and it is given to you, because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts gathered here this day would be found in your grace and mercy, pleasing and acceptable in your sight. This we ask through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. It's a little awkward, I think it's fair to say, to talk about money in the culture that we live in. You might feel that already this morning, seeing the passage and the title of this sermon. What's this going to be like? How's this going to go? How much money we make, how much money we have, how we spend that money, how much money we give away, our reluctance to talk openly about these matters is one of the most deeply held and unchallenged values in our culture. That's the way it is in our culture. You don't talk about that stuff. It's private. In some ways, it's the most private thing about our lives, generally speaking. And I'll just say this at the forefront. I'm not at all convinced that this is a good or wise taboo to have in our culture, particularly in the church. Nothing in our lives is completely private if we mean that it is without account to God. All of these things are under his purview. We should not be afraid to talk about them with one another. Yes, in appropriate ways, but still, there should be a place for us to talk about in the church, even our private financial lives. It should not be off limits. In any case, our Lord Jesus certainly did not have any trouble at all talking about money. In fact, if you read the Gospels closely, you'll soon discover that Jesus talks about money and wealth and the rich and the poor all the time. The danger of wealth in particular, that topic, is by any honest accounting actually one of the central features of Jesus' teaching ministry. He talks about it frequently. And that's an interesting thing to think about and consider as we think about our own lives and the things that we think are important. Our Lord certainly speaks of topics of wealth and money much, much more frequently than he ever talks about, for example, sexual holiness. And that's not to say sexual holiness isn't important. But certainly the weight in the Gospels in terms of what Jesus talks about most frequently, he talks about money a great deal more than he talks about sex. 
This week, in preparation for our sermon this morning, I spent some extended time going through the Gospel of Luke in particular and pulling out some of the things that Jesus said about wealth. And there was quite a bit of material there to work with in that Gospel. I can't even, that, just that one Gospel, I can't even come close to mentioning everything um, that Jesus said in just that single um, Gospel. But I want you to hear some of this, some of the things that Jesus teaches regarding wealth um, and money um, this morning as we begin to get into this topic, to feel a little bit of the weight of the things that Jesus says. In Luke 6, near the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus taught his disciples on the Sermon on the Plain, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then he turned and said, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation already. That's interesting to think about. In Luke 8, in the parable of the sower, you know the one where the sower um, spills the seeds in the ground. Um, Jesus tells his disciples that when the seed fell among the thorns and was then choked out, it was a picture of something. It was a picture of those who hear the word but are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not endure. Jesus identifies wealth as one of the primary dangers to our spiritual lives in that parable. In Luke 12, as we heard in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus gives an extended teaching on wealth and possessions. It begins when a man in the crowd asks Jesus to adjudicate a dispute he is having with his brother over an inheritance. Now, maybe this man was in the right. Maybe he was being wronged in some way. His brother was truly stealing from him. We don't know. But Jesus refuses to get involved in their dispute. Instead, what he does is he warns the man. That's interesting. He just warns him. He says, take care. If this inheritance comes to you, implicitly, and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist and the abundance of his possessions. Jesus then immediately after that tells the parable of the rich fool, the one who builds many storehouses and exults in his prosperity and his wealth. And he says to himself, and I always found this line pretty funny, Soul, he says, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. To which Jesus in the parable says that God responds in this way, fool. And that word fool, it's not just a, a throwaway word, fool, right? There's a whole Old Testament background behind that word in the Proverbs and elsewhere. Fool, God says, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This, Jesus says, is a picture of the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He is a fool of the worst kind, primarily because he doesn't think he is. Jesus then goes on in that chapter to teach his disciples to not be afraid or anxious about how they will live or be clothed or have enough to eat. And he instructs them at the end of that teaching with these remarkable words. He says, Sell your possessions. And there he's not necessarily talking about all the, the things that you have at home in your 
your bedroom. He's, he's more saying your assets, the things that, that you've accumulated. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your, 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 your real estate, your, your things that you've piled up and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying, the problem isn't treasure. What you want is real treasure, he says. Not the kind of treasure that turns to ash and dust in your mouth that fades like the wind. Where you want treasure is in heaven, where it is permanent, where it does not fade away, where thieves do not threaten it and take it away. This, Jesus says, is what it means not to be a fool, but to be wise. In Luke 16, Jesus says it plainly. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. And he's not talking about God and Satan there. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You must choose God or money. Now, this deeply offends the Pharisees who are listening, Luke tells us, for they pride themselves on their piety and good works. But Jesus tells them directly in that moment, after they are offended by his words, that their love of money is an abomination in the sight of God. Interestingly, that's the only place in the whole New Testament where the word abomination is used apart from Jesus' prophecy of what will take place in the temple, the act of sacrilege before 70 AD and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The only word, time the word abomination is used in the New Testament for a particular sin that you or I might commit is in the context of the love of money, particularly for those who have the outward appearance of piety. And in Luke 18, after the rich young ruler abandons Jesus instead of selling his possessions and following him, Jesus says to his disciples, Plainly, he says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And beloved, I just want to say, as those who inhabit a wealthy culture, we ought to pay attention to the words of Jesus. Unquestionably, we live in a deeply materialistic culture. Unquestionably, we are ourselves blessed with wealth, all of us in different ways. And so it is incumbent upon us, it is essential for us to take seriously these teachings of Jesus in a particular way. Clearly, our Lord considered how we relate to the wealth that God entrusts to us to be a very significant test of our discipleship to him. And so it is in this context that the apostle to the Hebrews, building on the teaching of our Lord, says to us today, keep your life free from the love of money. Those who love Jesus, those who are to be holy as he is holy, must live lives that are free from the love of money. Now I think one of the particular dangers of reading a text like this is that we can very easily assume it's talking about anyone but us, right? right, We come to this passage and we can just think, well, you know, there's that wealthy guy, he's out there, he's cruising, 
on his million-dollar yacht. He's drinking his thousand-dollar bottle of champagne. And we can think, well, yeah, that guy, right? He might have a problem with the love of money. But me? How could this apply to me with my little old house, right? With my little old salary, with my little old car. How could this be about me? But of course, assuming that the word of God is speaking to someone besides ourselves is perhaps the most serious and dangerous error that we could make when we come to it. When God speaks, he speaks to us. In many ways, it's important to remember, that was the fundamental mistake of the Pharisees. That God wasn't speaking to them, that he was speaking to the real sinners in the room. No, beloved, if we are to follow Jesus, it does not matter how much money is in our bank account or how many people we can list that are definitely richer than we are. No matter our financial situation, we must carefully take to heart and listen to this explicit command from the Scriptures. There's no equivocation here, right? There's no disclaimers. It just tells us simply and straightforwardly, keep your life free from the love of money. It's worth considering for a moment why it is that we might be tempted to love money. Why would we be tempted to love money? What does money do for us after all? Why might this be a real sin that we in this room might actually struggle with? We might be tempted to love money because money gives us security. I think that's one of the fundamental reasons. This temptation exists. At least it gives us the feeling of security, right? The illusion of it, at least. It seems to guarantee, if we have a lot of money, that when it comes to our physical needs in this world, we're going to be okay, right? That's one of the attractions that money has. If we're anxious, if we're worried about the future, if we read about whatever took place yesterday, if we watch the news and it's bothersome to us, um, if we have money, we can pull up our investments or review our assets, um, and, and we can think, you know what, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I'm going to be all right, you know? Nothing can touch me. And you know what? My children, they're going to be fine too. I've got them covered. I have built for myself enough that I'm secure. I think that's one of the real temptations that exists when it comes to money. It's a reason why we can love it. But of course, any security that money seems to provide is actually an illusion. Right? Fortunes usually take a lifetime to make and accumulate, but they can be lost in a week or a day or an hour. You know this, right? You know people who have experienced this. History is full of examples of this phenomena, the way that money does not actually provide the security it seems to promise. Some of us might, on the other hand, be tempted to love money because it gives power. It's connected to power, to leverage, to um, significance, to prominence. And in a sense, that's true, right? Money does give power in some degree. People treat us differently if they think we have wealth. I promise you, this is true. They listen to us more closely if they think that we're rich. They treat us more deferentially. They give us a little more grace. 
Money gives us access to social circles that we would never be a part of otherwise. This is definitely true. And this is one of the reasons why I think we're tempted to love money, because it gives us power, social power in our world. But friends, God is no respecter of persons. He is impartial. And he judges impartially. He does not distinguish between the rich and the poor. And indeed, the power of wealth cuts both ways because the scripture teaches on many occasions that those who possess the power that wealth brings will be held to account for how they used that power, what they did with it. To whom much is given, much is required, our Lord says. Some of us, on the other hand, might be tempted to love money because it can give us pleasure. We read about this in Ecclesiastes, in Solomon's quest for pleasure. And a fleeting sense, this is true. Money can make it possible for us to travel, for example, to exotic places, right? We go to Europe, we go to Asia, Australia. Even we can just go for a week to the beach and we get to experience things if we have money that those with less wealth will never enjoy in this life because they simply can't. Money can give us that. Money can give us fancy cars and large houses and fine clothing and excellent food and drink, pleasurable experiences of many different kinds. Yes, I cannot argue with that. But none of these pleasures can sustain us. Money cannot, as it is famously said, buy love or happiness. All of the pleasures that money brings, as Ecclesiastes teaches us in wisdom, are nothing more than vapor in the end. They don't last. They don't sustain. They don't give us real joy, real happiness, real contentment. These are some of the reasons why we might be tempted to actually love Money, And I would encourage you to think about those three reasons or others. What is it that you're attracted to when it comes to money? Why might you particularly be tempted to love it? Security? Power? Pleasure? Something else? Friends, we have to know our hearts in this way. The Word of God invites us to do so. And what then is this love of money that we are to keep out of our lives, that we are to keep our lives free from? My sense is that to love money in the way that the apostle is warning about here is to love inordinately the things that money seems to give us, the way that money channels for us those things, the security that money invites us to feel and the power and prominence that money seems to to promise us in and of itself, the pleasures that money seems to provide um, for us. There's nothing wrong with security or power or pleasure in and of themselves, but they can become things to which we are drawn and dependent upon in this this world in ways that that are destructive for us. And money is a real avenue to all those things and more. Perhaps the most powerful avenue that exists in this world. 
Friends, each of us, if we are to really hear this teaching, we must wrestle with the way in which we ourselves are actually tempted to love money. Because if we do this, if we fall into this sin, if we love money and we do not turn away from that love and repent of it, it will be, the Scriptures promise again and again, the ruin of our souls. It is an abomination in the sight of God, the Lord says. To give ourselves over to the love of money. Ironically, loving the security, the power, the pleasure um, that money seems to promise us actually makes us a slave to money, right? We have to keep feeding the beast. Keep it all going. We become a slave to our financial fortunes, a slave to our careers, a slave to the movements of the markets. Our happiness, our contentment is always then dependent on how well we are keeping the beast fed. How well we are doing in making that money and managing that money and protecting that money and keeping it safe. Above all things, right? Keeping it safe. Enslavement to money has the power, friends, to consume us to destroy us, to eat us alive. And indeed, it has consumed countless men and women throughout the centuries, including some who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. The love of money has consumed them and brought about their destruction. And in that light, it is important to me, or it seems important to me rather, that the apostle phrases the command this morning in the way that he does. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be free from it, he says. Beloved, it's crucial for us to see this, that this passage isn't just a warning or a prohibition against the love of money. It's also an invitation to a different way of life. It's an invitation to a way of life that the world knows nothing about. It's an invitation to freedom from the slave from being the slave of money, to being free from the power that money can hold over our lives and our hearts and our affections and our emotions. And that freedom that is offered to us is rooted in contentment. Keep your life free from money, the apostle says, and be content with what you have. You see, contentment fundamentally is what we are called to in relationship to money and wealth. And this passage implies that to live a holy life is to, kind of, is to have a kind of settled detachment from money. In a world that tells us that a good life means to make decisions and use our years and our gifts to advance our careers and to enlarge our assets, this passage teaches us that the call of the gospel lies in a different direction. The gospel says that there are many, 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 many things more important in living a good life than having a successful career or accumulating wealth. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ claims that the relative importance of those things is actually very small indeed. It's very small. Whether or not you accumulate wealth in your life counts for very little in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor, our Lord says. For yours is the kingdom of God. If those things happen, if we gather wealth in our lives, fine, okay. But don't think for a second that it matters in some fundamental way. 
Don't build your life around it. Don't treat it as though it is anything other than vapor in the wind. And if you become wealthy, you should not, friends, you should not think, oh, how wonderful and wise am I to have done this. No, you should think I had better now be careful. I had better remember the words of Jesus, of my Lord. I had better remember the strong warnings he gives to those who possess wealth and the dangers that are inherent in it. And whatever happens, I must not fall prey to the lie that the wealth I have gained is something that I have done fundamentally, that I've created through my own tenacity or my own talents. Friends, the distribution of wealth in this life is mysterious. It doesn't make sense. No one can truly understand it. God alone is sovereign over these things. And remember, wealth cuts both ways. Wealth in this life, according to the scriptures, is just as likely to be a curse as it is a blessing. For our Lord has said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And he has said also, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation already. And has not the Apostle Paul taught us, as we heard in our New Testament reading, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving, Paul says, that some have wandered away from the faith. Hear that, friends. It is through this craving, this addiction, this lust, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So instead of loving money, friends, be content with whatever God provides for you. And perhaps most in, more, just as importantly, rather, be content also with whatever God gives to your neighbor and provides for him. As we close this morning, I just want to think about fear for a moment, which is the emphasis of the last portion of this passage. Friends, so many of us, regardless of how much wealth we have or don't have, I think that we relate to money from a posture of fear, right? We're anxious about it. We fear that we won't be able to make enough money for all the things that we need or we think we need, right? We fear that our careers aren't leading to the kind of financial security that they thought we thought they would. We fear if we have money that we'll lose it. We'll lose what we do have if we don't interpret the markets correctly and make the right investments and plan for the future adequately. We fear that if we don't have money, we'll miss out on all the good things that money seems to promise us. The pleasures, the security, the power. We, we fear that we'll never be able to get ahead or that we'll never be able to save for retirement or buy a house or give our kids money for college or whatever it is 
that we're afraid about regarding money. And response, friends, to that fear that we naturally have about money, our passage this morning has a word that we need to hear. Listen to the logic of the apostle. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For this reason. For God has made you a promise. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so, therefore, we can confidently say, this frees us to say this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What frees you to do that, friends? Not the size of your bank account. The promise of God to provide for you, to take care of you. And so you can interact with wealth from this posture. You can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Beloved, do you hear this? What the Lord wants for you above all things when it comes to your money is for you to not be afraid. For you to not have fear about your future. And why? Because the Lord himself has made you a promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. That he is your helper, that he is your provider, that he will be with you in the years to come, that he is not going anywhere. And it is only, friends, as you rely on the security that God promises through his promise to you, rather than the security that your money seems to give you, that you will know actually what it is to not be afraid when it comes to your finances. It is possible to live this way, I promise you. It is possible to trust in the providence and care of God so that you do not fear what the future brings regarding your financial fortunes. Thanks be to God. And remember, there ends the, friends, the words of our Lord from Luke 12. Fear not, little flock, he says. Don't be afraid. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so I say, fear not, beloved. Your Father knows your needs. He will provide for you. He will care for you. And friends, do you know what happens when we stop being afraid? about not having enough money or what happens when we stop loving money. This just inevitably happens. It's the next step. We give it away. That's what we do with it. That's the truest sign that we no longer love money. It's when we relinquish our grip on it. We start to actually give it to others who are in need because we realize it doesn't really do that much for us anyway. It's not even that big of a deal to give money away when you stop loving it. Because what is it? It's vapor. And Luke 12, right after Jesus tells his disciples to fear not, he tells them this. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And indeed, friends, it is to the degree that we give our money away or not that is the most certain litmus test of whether we are living lives that are truly free of the love of money. That's the test. Do we give it away? Do we treat it like it is not that important? We give our money away first in the tithe that God requires to provide for the ministry of the church that gives nourishment to our souls. But giving our money away isn't completed by 10% by the tithe. 
No, God wants more for us than that. The tithe is only beginning. That's only the floor. That's not the ceiling. We give to the deacon's fund to care for the needy in our own church, in our own community. We support Christian ministries and, and missionaries outside of our local congregation. We find Christian works of service that provide help for orphans and widows, for the poor and needy in our larger city and region and around the world. We support those as well. This is what happens when you stop loving money. You just give and give and give. Because after all, it is just money, friends. You can't take it with you when you go. And beloved, do you know what Jesus promises to us when we stop being afraid, when we start really giving our money away? It is such a sweet promise that he gives. Jesus says we'll get way more than just a pat on our back if we give our money away. He says that when we give our money away, we provide for ourselves something better. Money bags that do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth will ever destroy. Beloved, in the end, you must, as the word of God says, either love God or love money. It's one or the other. Jesus is quite clear. And I stand before you today and I say what blessing and freedom and joy comes when we keep our life free from the love of money and we offer our treasure to God instead. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with this passage and with this topic that is taught on so frequently in the scriptures. And grant us wisdom, Father. Help us to not be fools. Help us to be wise by your spirit and to love you rather than money. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.